Well, no sermon series about hymns would be complete uh, without a hymn by Charles Wesley. And while Charles and his brother John are very well known as being the first practitioners of Methodism, uh, Charles is likely just as well known for having written over 6,500 hymns, many of which we sing here at FPC. Um, Jesus, lover of my soul, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, arise, my soul, arise, is among some of his best-known hymns. But he also wrote a number of Christmas songs. When Charles Wesley was about the age of 40, he was chewing on a difficult theological question, and it was this. What did Jesus' birth mean for the whole world? Not just for Israel, but for the whole world, for all the nations. That's what pastors do, by the way. We find thorny theological questions, and we, we chew on them for way too long, hopefully to the benefit of those that we serve. But as Wesley was contemplating the worldwide impact of the birth of Jesus, he began to look at the world around him. And what did he see? Well, England in 1747, which is where and when he lived, England in 1747 wasn't really a great place to be. Hunger and poverty were widespread among Christians and non-Christians. Class division was commonplace. And it seemed like there was an orphanage in every neighborhood. And from Wesley's perspective, it seemed as though the world had a lot of need. People were hungry, people were broken, people were alone, people were divided against one another. And as he saw these needs all around him, he realized this is why Jesus came. The world is full of pain and deficiency. You know it. You see it. There is a void in our world that cannot be filled, a void in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And Jesus came to satisfy that need. He came to undo all the pain and deficiency of the world. And with that in mind, he wrote our hymn that we'll be focusing on this morning. If my bride will come up, if you'll grab your worship guide, we're going to sing it together. Charles Wesley's question, or answer to his question... Come thou long expected Jesus. Oh 
song, Wesley aimed to answer his question. The question of what does the birth of Jesus mean, not just for Israel, but for the whole world, all the nations? And how does Wesley answer his question in his hymn? Look at the second half of his first verse. He says, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. So Wesley's answer to his question is this. Jesus was born to satisfy the deep desires shared by every human being. So what do people desire regardless of their national or cultural heritage? What do you desire? You know, often we use that word desire. It means something less than noble, something carnal, fleshly, inordinate, or at the very least, something you don't talk about in polite society. But that's not how Wesley is using the word. To use modern-day language, he's saying, what do the people of the nations long for? What are their deep desires, the longings of every person of every nation, regardless of their political, cultural, or religious sentiments? How would you answer that question? What do you think everybody wants? Well, everyone wants to be loved, known, heard. I think that's something we all share. In our less noble moments, we probably all want to be in control. (laughs) We want to be in charge. We share that desire too. It could even be argued that humans have a shared desire for freedom. That we all want to do what we want to do and what seems best to us. As it turns out, there are a lot of desires that are common to all people in every nation. So what is Wesley saying? He's saying this, I think. Underneath all human desiring is one essential longing, to live life as it was meant to be lived. When Henry and I visited the Philemon Project in Beirut, Lebanon several years ago, we talked about this at length. Despite the radical differences between us and them in terms of language and culture and religion, What they wanted in Lebanon was the exact same stuff that you and I want. They wanted to feed their kids. They wanted to be happy. They wanted a sense of purpose. They wanted to live life as it was meant to be lived. And when Charles Wesley looked at his world, he saw those same desires in England in 1747. People just want to have a good life. They want to live life as it was meant to be lived. But regularly, life is not that way. Not then and not now. How often do you look at your life, at your relationships, at your work, at your hopes and dreams and think, 
how did I get here? (laughs) This is not at all what I was wanting, what I was working toward, what I was hoping that this would be. This isn't the life I wanted. Is this the life that I'm made for? Well, Jesus came to save us from the ordinary trajectory of life in a sinful world and to give us a life worth living. That is how Jesus is the dear desire of every nation. He has come that all men might have a life worth living. That's the answer to Wesley's question. And that's what I think he means. He, that is Jesus, can fill the void in the world. He is the one who can fill the void in our hearts, who can give us the life that we long for. Dare I call it the good life. But how? How did Jesus come to give you and me the good life. Well, Jesus didn't come as some divine life coach to give us some tips and tricks to discover the good life. He didn't even come as an example for us to emulate. No, Jesus came to deal with the worldwide problem that has ensnared every nation and every person. He came to a world in chains that he might set us free. And by setting us free, he invites us into the life that was meant to be lived. So Jesus' birth is good news for the whole world because he came to set people free from sin and all its effects. Why do our lives often feel empty, pointless, and futile? Why don't people feel loved, known, or appreciated? Why does the good life feel so out of reach? And then, when you happen to get what you think is the good life, why does it seem so dissatisfying very quickly thereafter? right? You get that new job, you get that new house, uh, you you get that new relationship, whatever it is that you think is going to give you the good life, and then you get it, and the satisfaction seems to fade. Why? It's because of sin. Sin has infiltrated and corrupted all of human life on this planet, and because of sin, the whole world, every nation, and every person groans. We are not a happy planet. We're a people at war with each other, at war with ourselves. We are languishing like wanderers, perishing in the wilderness for lack of water. Why? Because of sin. Our sin must be taken away. We must be relieved of its effects in our lives. And that's why Jesus was born. So with that, let us turn our eyes away from Wesley to Matthew chapter 1. So in Matthew 1, Joseph and Mary are betrothed to be married, which was a bit more of a deal in those days. It was like a legal binding contract to get out of this engagement. You had to to get a divorce, the whole process. And being God-fearing, Bible-knowing people, Joseph and Mary had remained chaste in their betrothal. So you can imagine how Joseph felt when he gets the news that Mary's going to be having a baby, right? Look at verse 19 in Matthew chapter 1. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, he wasn't involved And unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So God... As he's reassuring Joseph, tells him why Jesus would be born. He was born to save his people from their sins. Is that not the whole problem 
of the entire Old Testament, right? Go back and read it. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what God does. His people always turn back to sin. From the garden to the wilderness to the promised land to Assyria and Babylon and back to the promised land, it doesn't matter how God provides or how God blesses Israel. Israel consistently sabotages themselves with their own sin. And if the Old Testament teaches us anything, it's this. If people are not saved from their sins, there is no hope for the good life. Why are our lives not as they should be? In Wesley's day, the problem wasn't poverty. The problem wasn't class divisions. The problem was sin. Sin led to poverty. Sin leads to class division. And what is the problem today that is keeping people from having life as it was meant to be lived? What are the problems? Think about this. What's keeping you from having the good life? What are the problems that loom large in your world that keep you from having happiness, contentment, and purpose? We've all got them. I don't know what your problems are, which ones you'd point to, but there is a chief problem undergirding them all, and it's sin. You wouldn't have those other problems if sin wasn't a reality. Sin is the root cause of all the problems in this life. Be really clear. Sometimes you have problems in your life because you sin. You sin, and the consequences royally mess things up. It's a consequence of, of your sin, right? Sometimes you have problems in your life because other people sin. Other people sin, and the collateral damage of their sin gets you wrapped up in it. Sometimes, here's a, a, a third option, sometimes the world is just messed up. Because of the reality of sin generally, the world is broken, and as a result, bad things happen. I don't care how you cut the cake. The facts are still the same. The world and everything in it is messed up because of our sin, other people's sin, and the problem of sin in general. And into that conundrum, the angel speaks, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So... By dealing with sin, Jesus makes the good life possible in eternity and now. Now, this is the Advent season, so you're, you're, you're expecting to hear sermons about Jesus coming back and making all things right. And when Jesus comes back, you will have the good life, right? After you're raised from the dead, you will live life exactly as it was meant to be lived. That's true. But I want to make a claim that might seem even bolder. You can have the good life now. Now, it may not be the good life you envision. It may not be the good life as portrayed in uh, Southern Living Magazine or, I don't, I don't know, whatever high-powered executive men read. That's not, <laughs> I read nerd stuff, so regardless. Jesus came to give you the good life. It may not be the one you think it is, but he comes to give you life as it was meant to be lived. After all, why was he born? He was born to save his people from their sin. So here's the question. Have you been saved from your sin to live the good life? I realize that phrase, saved from your sins, is so repeated by guys like me that it kind of just bounces off of your eardrums into the stratosphere. It's kind of lost its meaning. But let's consider what it really means that Jesus was born to save us from our sins. First, Jesus was born to save you from sin's dominion and power. 
So apart from Jesus, we are always going to sabotage our lives with sin. We want to be happy. We want to be fruitful. We want life as it should be. And then we mess it up. Over and over and over, we sin against God and we wreck things. Other people sin and wreck things. Who will save us from this self-sabotaging body of death? Who can save us from humanity's own self-sabotaging selfishness and prime foolishness? Who can save us from all this? Jesus can. That's why he was born. More specifically, he was born to save you from sin's dominion and power. I'll say it a different way. Jesus was born... So that you, Christian, could stop sinning. Yes, in eternity, you'll be set free from sin forever. But even now, he intends to grow you in that direction. And that might seem impossible to you. You have sinful thoughts, sinful desires, patterns of sin in your life that loom over you so greatly... You, can, you just expect, I'm never going to be set free from that in this life. Maybe you've resolved just to put up with your sin until you die, and then you're set free. Maybe this sermon point just seems impossible to you. You know what else seemed impossible? For Mary, who had never known a man, to have a baby. And who is it that made that impossible thing very much possible? Who is it that turned that fruitlessness into fruitfulness? Who is it that brought the joy of new life where there was no expectation of that? Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from whom? The Holy Spirit. I'll let you chew on that for a second. The same Holy Spirit who conceived the pre-incarnate Son of God into human flesh in the womb of his mother is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. I think breaking the power of sin in your life is no trouble for him. So I ask the question again, have you been saved from your sins? Jesus was born to save people from their sin. So have you asked the Holy Spirit to break the dominion and power of sin in your life? Have you brought your sinful desires, your sinful thoughts, your sinful habits to him day in and day out and asked him to set you free? If you haven't, <laughs> please do. Ask the resurrected Christ, ask the Holy Spirit to set you free from your brokenness that he was born and raised to set you free from. We are dominated by sin, but Jesus came to save us from sin's d domination. Imagine it. Imagine that today you could sin less than you did yesterday. Imagine it. That today you could become more like Christ and less like yourself. Imagine that today you could share in the holiness of Christ. What would that look like? It would look like life as it was meant to be lived. It would look like the good life. Jesus was born to save people from their sins. Now, you could argue, I sound very triumphalistic. I might even be accused of sounding like a Methodist with that, that point. Either he came to save you from sin or he didn't. 
I know Christians who have come to Christ, who have radically, radically been saved from sin, who've been set free from addiction like that. They have asked for God to do it, and it has happened. For others, myself included, what has been more realistic is a process of repentance, of being slowly but surely over time through the work of the Spirit and the application of the Word and sitting under the sacraments and sitting through doing the ordinary means of grace, he weans us off of sin and we become more and more reliant on Christ. Whichever way, I don't care. The point is the same. He was born to save you from your sin. So Christian, have you been set free from sin's power and domination? Have you been broken free of the chains that are in your life? That's what he was born for. But... Not the only way that he saves us from our sin. Jesus was also born to save you from sin's guilt and shame. So yes, Jesus did come to break the chains of sin in your life, to change the way you live. But he also came to remove its barbs from your heart. So as the world longs for the good life, people of every tongue, tribe, and nation are faced with an, an internal sense of being less than. We look at ourselves and we are not as we should be and we all carry that with us in different ways. Perhaps we have an enduring sense of wanting to be more, wanting to be better, wanting to be different from how we feel we are. That's all from sin. The fact is, you are not as you ought to be. None of us is. And we carry the weight of that whether we know God's law or not. And Jesus was born to save us from our sin. So you can be set free from the internal sense that you are not as you ought to be? Have you been set free from that sense of unworthiness? Have you been set free from the guilt and shame of your sin? When you look at yourself, do you have a sense that you are as you ought to be? A part of the good life is actually being able to live with yourself. (laughs) Being able to look at yourself in the mirror and to be happy with what you see. And apart from Jesus, there's no way to do that honestly. I'll use Wesley's language. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. When you look at yourself, how do you assess your value, your worth, your history. What do you see when you look at yourself? If you do not trust Christ, you will always find yourself lacking because you are lacking. You're not the man you ought to be. You're not the woman you ought to be. You're not the boy or girl that you ought to be. None of us are. That's the whole point. Therefore, Jesus was born and Jesus lived the life we have failed to live, right? He always did what he ought to have done. Jesus is not shameful or guilty like we are. He is not incomplete like we are. His life is one worth being proud of. And yet on the cross, he traded his life for ours. He became guilty of our failures so that you might be counted righteous for his life. The life of Jesus is now credited to those who believe in him. His all-sufficient merit is your identity through faith. And that is the grounds on which God judges us. When God judges us, it's on the ground of Christ's obedience. 
not ours. So on what grounds are you judging your worth? As long as we judge and assess our life's value by what we accomplish, we will always be found wanting. But if our value is found in the merit of Jesus, we will find freedom from every sense of oughtness and failure as a human being. Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. Some of you do need to hear that Jesus came to set you free from sin's dominion and power in your life. But others of you need to hear that Jesus came to save you from that constant nagging sense that you are not enough. If you trust in Jesus, not only have your sins been taken away, you've also been given the righteousness of Christ. You are not a blank canvas to be filled in with your good works. No, in Christ, you are a complete, beautiful, loved, perfect work of art because the life, the merit of Jesus has been imprinted upon you. There's nothing left for you to do or be or accomplish because Jesus has done it all. Jesus was born to save you from your sins. So that's the question. Have you been saved from your sin? Do you realize that's why he was born? That's what Christmas is all about. The God-man descending to earth that we might be set free from sin's domination, shame, and guilt. So have you been saved from your sins? That one question is more important than all the Christmas preparations and decorations in the world. Because if you've not been saved from sin's power, if you've not been saved from your shameful failings, if you don't know the love and approval of the Father because of the work of the Son, then all the Christmas celebrations and gifts and songs are just another testimony to your own lostness. They proclaim nothing to you but your failure to live the life that you should have lived. But Jesus was born to save us from our sins. So friends, turn to Jesus. Ask him to take away your sins, to save you from its power, its guilt and shame. And then the good life for you can finally begin. Let's pray. Oh God, we need you. Every one of us, we need you. So Lord, I want to pray for those who are living life under the domination of sin. They look at the patterns of their thinking and their acting, and they think, there's no way I can change. This will never be different. Help them to believe the gospel that Jesus was born to save them from that sin. And then the Holy Spirit, do a work in them that seems impossible. Bring, bring fruitfulness where there is fruitlessness. And Lord, for those of us who wander around each day, constantly trying to augment our value and our worth with the things that we do. Help us instead to find the relief and freedom of knowing that Christ has done it all. There is nothing we need do. He is our righteousness. He is our hope. He is our very life. And so this Christmas, help us to trust the gospel and help us to find freedom from sin's power, shame, and guilt. This we pray in the name of Jesus.